Hello, dear listeners. This is Joel B. New, and you're listening to Something New, a musical theater podcast. My chance to talk with the savviest professionals in the industry, hear their stories, premiere brand new original songs, and get to the heart of what makes them the working, multifaceted artists they have come to be. Welcome back, you. Welcome back, me. Welcome back, us. If you're listening to this on release day, good for you. I hope your Labor Day is anything but laborious. I am recording this intro from the comfort of my home in Astoria, uh, with the dog sleeping by my side, the Dumbo coffee mug warming itself here with some nonsense creamer within its contents because I'm pretending to do Whole30 or as I like to call it, Half-Ass 30. This is episode 601 of an incredibly short self-promoting season of Something New. I am in the middle of getting ready for the world premiere concert of Monkey Trouble Unleashed, a violent musical comedy. It is an absurd parody hybrid of two critically obscure movies. You don't need to have seen either of them to appreciate the show. BT-dubs. But just in case you have seen them, those movies were and are 1994's Monkey Trouble, starring a capuchin monkey, and 2005's Unleashed, starring Jet Li. Uh, For the five weeks prior to the show, which is Sunday, October 6th at 6.30pm at the Duplex in New York City, I will be releasing a new episode featuring members of the cast and creative team every week. For tickets, visit joelbnew.com slash monkey. Again, that's joelbnew.com slash monkey. I'm pushing the universe for an off-Broadway premiere in 2021, because if I don't say it, no one will. Uh, Don't you want to be someone who can say, I saw that ridiculous show at the duplex, and I loved every minute of it. I can't wait to get tickets for the off-Broadway run. I know I would want to be that person, and I will be, and I hope you'll join me. Our first guest back on the show is a returning guest, the one and only Amy Jo Jackson. I previously interviewed her on the show in episode 205, in which she premiered Cute White Boy in a Long Black Coat Pole Dancing on the One Train, as you do. We've done tons of things together since, both on and off the podcast, Just in case you don't have a chance to listen back to our first interview, here's a few footnotes for today's conversation. She was the dialect coach for Kinky Boots on Broadway, and she was doing a show called Suicide at the time, and that show's title actually has a question mark in it, so it's Suicide, hence you'll hear that lilt in our conversation. In today's song premiere, which is one of her character songs in Monkey Trouble Unleashed, I do bleep a few choice four-letter words because that is my prerogative as podcast producer. But when you come see the show on October 6th at the Duplex, I assure you there will be no bleeping, okay? All right, I think that about does it. Remember to check back in every Monday for the next five weeks for brand new episodes. We're still on Apple Podcasts, of course, and we're on Spotify now. I don't know if anyone gets that accent reference, but if you've ever seen Drop Dead Gorgeous, 
and there's that commercial playing in it where a previous pageant winner is showing this factory that makes pork products and at the very end she's like in fact i work here now so that's that was the reference i was just making we're on spotify now you're welcome basically i just love that accent a lot which is apropos for today's episode with a professional dialect coach and actor and cabaret artist one last plug, visit joelbnew.com slash monkey for tickets to the October 6th premiere and bring all of your friends, like all of them, all of them, all of them. Without any further ado, here is episode 601 with Amy Jo Jackson. Ladies and gentlemen, I am sitting here with my dear friend, Amy Jo Jackson. Hello. How's it going? I'm fantastic. Um, I can't believe I'm back at this. Yes. Um, yeah. It's been a, a bit of a hiatus. Yes. I took two years off and um, learned that I missed it a little bit. Oh, great. And I was, I'm working on this new show, and I figured it was a great way to come back to the podcast and uh, introduce this new show. Mm-hmm. and. Um, chat with some, some friends old and new. Old so. and something new. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. that was a good I non-joke. S- I see what we did there. Yes, yes. I just love that you're my first interview back. It's nice to see a familiar face. Yeah. Yeah, feels, I feel like the pressure is off a little bit. I mean, yeah. unless you tell me otherwise. Well, no, then. I mean, we're like, I think we recorded, we recorded before, not at your... It wasn't. We, rec- at we York recorded at Mike Petrie's yes. apartment in Astoria. So that was different too because we were recording in someone else's space, which was yeah. lovely. But this is different. Where at your apartment, where I've been to before now. You yes, know? like we're actually home. Yeah, the yeah. dog. You will hear the dog's nails clacking on the wood every once in a while. <laughs> um, so not my nails, that's the dog's. Can you imagine? <laughs> Need some serious intervention. Like a raptor. <laughs> So I'm going to just interview you every five years. Does that sound great? great. I'll take it. It's oh. like a Linklater movie. Nice. Nice. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Thank you very much. It's been five years since I've uh-huh. sat with you in this forum. Mm-hmm. What you been up to? The biggest thing would be like I, that I consider myself a cabaret artist now, which was not something I was doing then. You know, I did my first solo show um, in sep- September 5th, 2014. What was the impetus to, to dabble into the Well, I'd always wanted the cabaret to. world. I, I, when I first moved to the city, it was something I wanted to do, but I didn't really know how. And, um, I'm not really into astrology, but I will say that I'm a classic Gemini and that I love beginning projects, but my follow through isn't always there. You know, there's a, many an abandoned project in a closet in Mm -hmm. metaphorical and and quite literal uh like i don't i'm never gonna use these knitting needles i gotta get rid of these knitting needles that kind of thing mine are right here (laughs) are they long abandoned or years years abandoned years so you understand yes last time i picked them up uh, a friend and i were binge watching the original lord of the rings trilogy extended edition oh yes director's cut yes years and years ago before she had a child and now i think she has a uh three, four-year-old, so I feel you. You haven't knitted many scarves, I'm just kidding. No, it's like about half a pot holder. (laughs) Yeah, it's about Mm -hmm. all I manage. So anyway, (laughs) I'd always like, oh, I want to write a cabaret, but I also, like, when I first moved to the city, wasn't, like, seeing a ton of cabaret. I was, like, trying to see what I could, but also, you know, you're 
working at Starbucks and then I was working retail, you know, I'm not necessarily like, you know what I'm going to do is go seek out this blah, 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 blah. Like I was trying to see whatever like Broadway and off Broadway shows I could see. And then I started going to more cabaret and basically that solo show came about because I did an event at 54 Below. I hosted, I hosted a night of like, uh, gender bending at 54 Below through an, uh, like someone else was producing it and they asked like would you like to co-host this I said yes please yeah. so I did that so my first appearance on the stage at 54 Below I sang I've grown accustomed to her face From Sweeney Todd. Yes. You know, that epiphany. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> then then I did an event in, I think it was like that May, that was uh, people who worked on Kinky Boots and worked out at Mark Fisher Fitness. We did like a, a, like a, a co-pro, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> it was a joint, uh, <laughs> it was a joint fundraiser for Broadway Bears. Um, and so I sang on that and the guy who put that together, Will Nunziata, like reached out to me less than a week later saying, hey, I'm interested in like helping you like, like build a cabaret around you. What's your interest? And I was like, hi, <laughs> it's very high. Um, and so that was really useful because I've never had someone like basically be like, I'll pitch this thing for you. I know how to do this. I've done this plenty of times as a director and a curator and he and his twin brother have a cabaret act they do all over the world, you know? So as someone who is like, doing that aspect of it was nothing to him. Mm -hmm. And to me, that was so daunting, and I didn't know what that was like. So um, that was the reason it finally happened, was because I had a deadline and someone who was like, let's have a meeting and talk about what you want to sing and what kinds of things you're interested in. And then I, you know, went away and made my playlists and did that. And now, now that I've done it, it is very, I, I don't want to say easy, um, because self-producing, I find, is always a, a bit of a... Trial, yes, but like once yes. you've done it, you know you like, can do it. Yeah, so you, you know it's going to happen. Yeah, and I know it's I'm not gonna now. flake out on myself. No, like and if there's something like I, you, there's always, I'm sure you experience <laughs> the audience this. might flake out. The audience probably will because it's New York City. But I, I find that usually like two weeks to a week before the thing, I'm always like. Why did I decide I wanted to do another one of these? Mm -hmm. Like every single time, and then it happens, and it's wonderful. You know, yeah. I mean, and I, then you just forget all about all of the strife. Yeah, yeah. I I remember the Annie Lennox concert I produced last year at Fifty Four Below with with uh, Brian Nash as the MD. I hadn't done like a full-blown lots of people concert 
where there was also a full band before. And that, it, we both nearly died that week of just, like, stress. Of, okay, we've got to get everybody in. This person went over. The This person was late because the blah, 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 you know. And then trying to run everything, one through a very short sound check. And yeah. and then it ended up being, you were, you were there. I was there, It ended yes. up being amazing. Like, was... I had a great time. And the audience, because uh, I sourced a lot of singers who are not, like, from the traditional 54 Below oeuvre, yeah. as well as some who are, you know. It was it was a really exciting evening. But Brian and I emerged like, we did it. We did it, kid. Ah, I'm so happy because I need to go home and sleep for two days. <laughs> I was re-listening to our episode from 2014 and let's see you were you were doing suicide and um and i forgot about this fact that the part that you played was originally written for a man Mm -hmm. and gender bending has i don't know if it's become like a common thread throughout your your career from here to then or oh it's been since i was like 5 like i've always been tall so yeah. i and there were never enough boys so i would always play boy parts from seriously like being a kid um and then yeah it's some it's i've done a lot of it and then i do a lot of shakespeare and it's much more common in shakespeare right 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 like the, up until recently i played far more men in shakespeare than women but what's great about shakespeare too is there's a much more accepted convention of just like gender neutral casting like mm-hmm. we it, accept the convention of this person has this body that presents a particular way but we're not necessarily going to adjust the language or our ideas around it unless it is a character that is doing drag a la Twelfth Night situation or or, or something that where you have like a girl dressing up as a boy like unless it's something like that that's explicit in the text most of the time it's just like you just suggest something that leans a little more masculine or a little more feminine and people just accept it as, as a human being and yeah, I mean, like gender's something, you know, when you like are, you get enough of a body of work and a point of view about what you do to be able to look back and, and see what some of the threads are where before you're just doing what you need to do in order to like survive and feel validated. <laughs> um, I can look back and say like, oh yeah, I've always been like, I've always been interested in, in playing around with gender. And I think when I was younger, I just thought, oh, it's cause I'm tall and like, you know, strong and, and, and can come in and kind of take up space in that way. But like looking back on it, that's like, no, well, it's something about you, not just that you were tall. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've, uh, I've said that I love playing male roles in Shakespeare, particularly because the language in, in all of Shakespeare is, is very robust, but there's something about like giving yourself permission to have that much power and authority um, and swagger and have it just be an accepted fact. Yeah. Um, you know, you play someone like Lady M and she also has that, but she's still like attached to Macbeth, who's the one with the power. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah. you can, it can have all sorts of table work discussions about that and the power dynamics and the relationship itself. But in the society, he's the one with it. Yeah. So it's just fun to be like, oh yeah, I'm going to go play King Henry the fourth and we'll still use words like father and, and he, but I will be wearing a full dress with a train you know, but I'm still playing it like in my brain. I'm a man, and and then yeah, I mean it's a thing that I, I I use she and they pronouns. I I'm very interested in androgyny, just like in life and and like gender play and and just not being quite so like stuck to binary mm-hmm. um, ways of thinking. 
Uh, so it's definitely something I actively bring to the forefront in my work now that I've realized, like, oh, no, this is the thing that you're interested in and a thing about which you have something to say. To bring it to the piece that I'm working on with you right oh, now. right. <laughs> Monkey Trouble Unleashed. Um, the villain of the piece uh, is loosely based on Bob Hoskins' character. And I knew from the get-go, I was like, I want Amy Jo to play this part. I love that you think of me and Bob Hoskins on set. Like, I... Love Bob Hoskins. <laughs> so that feels right. Yeah, yeah, it felt right to me too. And I think also since we last spoke like this, um, Kinky Boots has closed on yes. Broadway, but only recently. Like we right? closed in April, Get so solid run. Yeah, so it was five? it was really uh, six. six. Yeah, we years. closed right after a six because we opened. April 4th, 2013, and then closed in 2019. Is that six years? I, I can't yeah. do math. Yeah. I'm yeah. fused. 19 minus 13 is six. Great. Yes. That, well, it feels right. Yeah. Um, yeah, we closed April 7th, so we had just passed six years. Yeah. I would say when we last spoke uh, that I was more riding the wave of the dialect opportunities I got from Kinky Boots then. I reached a point... Probably around like mid-2015, I want to say. Yes. Um, Yes, that's exactly what it was. Um, I was working on Clinton, the musical, off-Broadway. They had me working um, with Carrie Butler on her Hillary Clinton idiolect, which that's a dialect uh, with the idiosyncrasies and the idiosyncrasies and the idiosyncratic way of speaking of a particular human. Uh, so we were working on Hillary Clinton, and then I also had the, the two guys who were playing Bill. I kind of worked with them as well. So I was working on that, and I was working on another show in development, and it was great because I was in rehearsal all the time with really amazing artists. And I was still like doing readings as an actor, and I was really trying to keep it like 50-50. Uh, and then I realized, like, oh, that's not a good ratio for me. I, I need it to be a lot more acting than production coaching because the production coaching while certainly preferable to being in no rehearsal rooms, yep. was was really taking up so much of my time. I was not going out and working regionally. I just had fewer windows of opportunity to even book anything in. Oh. And I um, I think I also went through a period of time where I thought maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. You know, maybe I'm supposed to be a dialect coach and it's my ego that's like telling me I should be an actor, you know. And then I kind of... I can't remember exactly what it was, like if I did some gig or something, or maybe it was a series of gigs and I just came to the realization, it's like, no, you're an actor and you're good at it and you love it and it makes you feel more yourself than anything. So maybe we need to get this into more of a 60-40 than 70-30 kind of ratio, you know? Um, So I I made a decision, like, after this one project I was working on finished, I was like, I'm not going to accept any new production gigs that would require me to be in the rehearsal room all the time. Now I do a lot of consultation stuff where I'll I'll come in for, like, a weekend of rehearsals. And then maybe they'll send me audio of a a designer run, a la the way, like, a a dance captain would get a video of a rehearsal and, like, note it from that if they're in it. So I'll do a lot of that where it's like, okay, then I'll just spot check. Um, I'll do, like, FaceTime sessions with people. I'll uh, I'll do a lot of, like, m- more, like, I'm coming in and I'm the dialect coach from the production, but I'm only in for a few days. I feel like we can't just skip over the fact that you taught Carrie Butler, Hillary Clinton. I know. Id- idiolect? Yes. Idiolect. Yes. Can you give me a little bit of that? No. Um, really? I can tell okay. you what we did. Well, it was also, like, 
four years ago. I don't okay. even remember what we did. We basically just did a slightly larger, because this was before Kate McKinnon did Hillary. Mm. So like Bill's very easy to do. Right? Anyone can do a Bill Clinton impression, and even if it's bad, you'll know what it is. Yeah. So, like, I worked with the guys, but, like, one of them had played Bill Clinton already, you know? It was more just like, a, let's judge what you have and make sure you're both in the same world, and how can I help you? Because it was, like, basically, like, good Bill, bad Bill were the two actors. So it was like, how okay. can we also use, like, pitch and language and all this to storytell the two sides? And Carrie requested someone come on because she was like, I don't know what to do. Like, how do I... How do I make this funny and have it make sense, you know? And um, so I think now that Kate McKinnon has done it, there's a better model. Um, Because Amy Poehler was was funny, but I don't think she nailed the idiolect aspect of it in in really any way. It was more just like kind of an attitude. So we we also, because it was was set in the early 90s, um, so we went back and kind of amped up her Chicago midwestern sound and leaned into that and just like started really broadly from the top she started with a monologue and so we're just like let's lean into that and then we'll we'll shape that and make that consistent um so that's what we built i Got can't it. do it for you because i honestly was- <laughs> i do not remember it's like ah i don't have to recall that anymore out of the head it goes out. there's only so much space in there you've been working like a fiend i mean i've just to name a couple of things like you've done I don't know, I think all the dream... So many dream roles for me (laughs) as a gay man. Like, you've been um, Miss Gulch slash The Wicked Witch of the West. Yes. You've been Ursula. Yes. You and you've done two productions of Fun Home. It's the same production, but it, we we brought it back. Basically, we okay. did it in the fall. Yeah. And the way that they booked the theaters there, they couldn't just extend it, so they brought the whole cast back, and we did it again. They just like put everything into storage, and we threw it together in a week, and and did it uh, for the month of June. So we did oh. it for all of Pride, which was tremendous. Wow. So like on the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots, we're there doing Fun Home. You know, with that scene in New York. Oh my gosh, we did it to a sold out crowd on Father's Day. And I, you know, I walk out there with my like box of stuff mm-hmm. to start the show and I looked around and I was like, what are all these people doing here? Do they know what the show is about? And the the artistic director's husband, when I was asking about it afterwards, he's like, I, you know what? I think it's just we all wanted to feel better about our own parenting. <laughs> so <laughs> here we are. Um, but yeah, it was. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. So one production, but twice over. Six month break to like give it some time to really steep. Yeah, you know? really just, yeah, sim- yeah, just get, get in the juices. Get in the. Oh, I the... missed that the first time. <laughs> I but I've marinated in it. Those Janine juices. Those Janine juices. <laughs> <laughs> I would give a lot of things to see you in that show. Thank you. Yeah. It's, it really surprised me how um, excited people were to hear I was doing it because it's it's really not the type of thing I get asked to do that often. Like, Wicked Witch of the West, Ursula, those are like much more like, oh yeah, duh. You know, I, I yeah. feel like the role I am most uh, well-suited for across every spectrum of anything you can like measure is Ursula you know and I found out from the woman who directed it that apparently when I came in and I was the first person they saw for it they're like they told me later like oh yeah well you booked it on the first line I was like what she's like you used a liquid you to say Ursula I was like that's how am I not gonna hire this person I was like how are you gonna say Ursula and not say Ursula he's like well exactly (laughs) you're on to Ursula um (laughs) 
I was like, that's the only way to pronounce it. She's like, I recognize that. That's why I hired you. <laughs> So like these big, campy, like real roles with like teeth and largesse, because uh, I'm I'm six feet tall and I take up a lot of space and my voice is big and knocks around a room loudly, you yeah. know. So to to get this part, Allison was like, I, I I it was the first time I've gotten something and really truly genuinely gone I do not know how I'm gonna do this you know but I had I had probably three or four months three months I think in between booking it and rehearsal starting which is great because you know Alison Bechtel is a real person who also drew these very detailed graphic novels so like I had all this research to do she mentions all these books in the graphic novel some just like drawn in panels some like in the text and I was like well I better start reading some of these books and I better you know some, start watching some interviews and just like really ground myself in this human and then worry about everything else after that and and it wasn't until I was like closer to doing it I was like oh you mean my obsessive anal retentive laser focused tunnel vision can uh can be useful in this character like that's how I worked on Ursula but you don't actually need to know a lot about octopuses to play an uh, like a fictional octopus but I still did a, an unnecessary amount of research because it made me feel better yeah. but like for for fun home that was all very useful and that's also the way into like that's how the characters looking at the events unfolding in front of them so yeah. I'm like oh I see yes this is this uses all this stuff that's very true of me and the like non campy part of myself that I don't get hired for that frequently, um, but it was it, it took a while for me to understand like why people would even be able to see me in it. It was a surprise to me when I booked it. You know, <laughs> no, I would I would give a lot of things, um, and I remember I think it was your first fifty four below show. Um, you sang "Say Something," I'm giving mm-hmm. up on you, mm-hmm. and I had never heard that song before, Ugh. and you destroyed me that's that. I've gotten that feedback about that song <laughs> from a few people <laughs> actually probably yeah closer to to what the end of fun home is like but just like the complete emotional restraint of fun home even that song that you're talking about you can find it on youtube um but it's a it's definitely very emotionally full from the jump because that's just how i am as a person so i was like how am i supposed to play this person who like it's in the the forward like that you can't get emotional until x point Really? Oh, yeah. I haven't read the script. There's a great... Well, it's a great forward. It's just about how to navigate it so that it's not overwrought in certain ways. Did Lisa Crone write that, or...? Yeah, it was was, uh, Tesorian and Crone kind of, like, joint. For people who are thinking of producing it, this is things to think about. Like, Medium Allison is having a joyful experience coming out. It's not until she looks back at it that she conflates it with, like, her father's suicide and equates it as, like... 
a cause and effect, thereby rendering it negative. If you play only the anxiety and the pain and yeah. knowing what's coming, you it won't work. Yeah, if you, you play know? it in the hindsight. Yeah, yeah. So stuff stuff like that, in- including like, like Allison really needs to keep everything repressed until like the end of telephone wire, basically. Um, and where, where just like, then it's like you, she needs to fall apart because this is the, where it's good. Like, it's very clearly laid out. Um, but for me, when we did the, when we did the first read sing, I started crying at Ring of Keys and didn't stop until after it was over. Like fully couldn't phonate during parts of Telephone Wire because I was crying so but I also knew I was like I know me I'm gonna have to burn some of this this. off I was like so the read sing is the perfect time to do this and then Uh I'll have a few times where it's way too much and then I'll be able to learn how to sit on it and where I need to like be less engaged because that's also exactly what the character's trying to do it's pretty well written yeah Um, it's a good show it's a good show it's it's pretty solid you know they got a future those two I think they got something going on there it's pretty good something special (laughs) What was the impetus be- behind um, Brass Menagerie? Um, you just got a huge smile on your face. Oh, I'm just, it's still so new and I'm really proud of it. It's very different than anything I've made before, you know? I <laughs> loved it. I'm so glad. I laughed my ass off. I'm so glad. And <laughs> I had a great date. Nico was my date. Yes. Um, and we, um, well, that's my, that's my monkey. Oh yes, your little your little piece. I got a little piece of, of the, the glass of the show. I did. Yeah. Um, so tell me about that. Well, yeah. Is. Okay. So it started. It truly started as a joke. Like I sent out an email. I you were probably on. Like when, when I was just like, "Hey, come see my show." I was like, "Like all great works of art, it began as a joke." Uh, yeah. <laughs> which is a hundred percent true. My husband and I were sitting around on the couch one day, like April of last year, I think. Um, and I don't remember why, but we're talking about Ethel Merman. Uh, we're talking about what if Ethel Merman played Amanda Wingfield in The Glass Menagerie. And we're laughing about that. And then Jeff was like, oh, yeah, you could call it The Brass Menagerie. And then we were just riffing and making jokes about basically mashing up gyp- Gypsy and, and Glass Menagerie. And we were like, wait a second. And I started making a playlist. Like, and we really were just joking about it for a little bit, but more and more we would talk about it. And he's like, you should really do this. And like, we were just coming up with bits. Like one of the earliest bits was like, what if for the rose tattoo, I just sang Bette Midler's The Rose in a pronounced Italian accent. We're like, yes, great. That's the thing. I'm really proud. For several minutes. I'm really proud of that one. Well, because it's like, my favorite bit of that is like, Brian Nash coming in on the third verse also with a, with a gratuitously thick Italian accent. And everyone realizing that he is also singing. Oh, he texted me the other day. Um, he goes, I was, was walking down the street to the gym and just remembered Caroline and started laughing out loud. Because uh, basically, as I was then as I was putting it together, I was trying to see how much of Gypsy can I get into the glass menagerie? Like, truly, how much of it can I fit? So when I was able to put in some of the farm sequence, uh, that was the day I laughed so hard to myself alone while I was... I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get this into the show as well. And uh, that that part always just like broke Brian and I up in rehearsal. When I... <laughs> I don't remember when I came up with all of the other things. A lot of it was just kind of trial and error. One of the first things I rewrote was back to before 
for Alexandra Delago in uh, Sweet Bird of Youth. But originally I wanted to do this big medley of different songs about aging and I just couldn't make them work and also make them fit with some of the original text. And I was like, what if I just did this and mainly did the monologue? So it's just kind of a lot of trial and error. But it, I did it at the duplex because I had pitched it to someone who had approached me about doing a show down at Caveat in the West, Vill West Village in, in the Lower East Side, um, which is a cool venue that has um, like a PowerPoint that you can use. It's, it's, they do a lot of um, nights of like lectures with scientists, but with like a comedy bent to them there. Okay, okay. Uh, and I was like, oh, this actually would work well there. And then I could use graphics and that sort of thing to like tell the stories while I'm off stage, like maybe changing. And then that friend left the venue. I was like, okay, I don't care to push it enough. I'm going to go to Fun Home. And then um, I saw on Playbill these um, acquaintances, friends of mine, um, run this residency called the Denovan Residency. And they posted on Playbill, like, anyone who wants to apply, it's a cabaret residency. I was like, what the heck? Mm. And so I applied with this. And I was like, I don't know if anyone is going to think this. Is... And they picked it. And I was like, oh, shoot, I got to write it now. And then and the more I worked into the more I realized, like, I have to rewrite most of these lyrics like I didn't think I was going to initially and then the more I was working I was like no I have to yeah um but then it became something that I sculpted into something that was very different than anything I've done I'm very proud of it and I'm definitely doing it again I mean good. um good. I just I wanted that to be like first preview I want to do it again and get it reviewed and take some video and I'd love to like take it to the Tennessee Williams Festival in P-Town. Like, it's very that, you know? Oh, my you know? God, yes. Um, it's very campy and, and gay and ridiculous and, and very niche. But for those in the niche, it is, <laughs> it hits, yeah. you know? It's like catnip. Oh, yeah. The audience was incredible. Like, uh, you all were just so um, generous and effusive, and I couldn't believe how, like, Everyone was like on top of every joke. Mm -hmm. Every time an underscoring shift would happen and everyone would get it. It was just so satisfying, yeah. you know? It was a wonderful, wonderful evening Thank of theater. You. Yeah, You're a really, really good fun. lyricist. Thank you. I'm I'm an excellent excellent parody lyricist. I uh, That is a skill. Yeah. I, I'm I'm good at taking a structure that exists and playing with it. It, in trying to write my own stuff, it's uh, harder to generate from scratch, I find. But, like, parody yeah. lyrics I've been doing since, like, middle school, you know? Um, I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Well, you're really good at it. Thank you. I cannot wait to see it again. Yeah. I will see it again and pay money. <laughs> and pay money. I will pay the monies to see it again. <laughs> Speaking of shows that are jokes... Uh-huh. <laughs> I wrote a show. You sure did. I did. Um, which kind of started as a joke as well. Mm hmm um, like all great works like of art. all great works of art. <laughs> As the old point. adage goes. Yes. Um, so to give a little backstory here, and I think you know how this show yeah, was created. I believe so. Yeah. So there was a movie called Monkey Trouble that was like early 90s. I was a little kid and it starred a very young Thor Birch and a capuchin monkey. And it was one of me and my sister's favorite movies growing up. And then in my 20s, a movie came out called Unleashed starring Jet Li and Bob Hoskins and Morgan Freeman. And um, it was super violent. And But like when I saw it, I was like, oh my God, it's the same plot. It's the exact this same This is plot. all I did with The Brass Menagerie. Was yeah, go, yeah. oh, it's the same. Yeah. I just have to do a little cut and paste and it's the same yeah. as Gypsy. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, well, no one else has probably seen both of these movies and remembered both of them. Right. I was like, they're, they're for different times in one's life, typically. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very different audiences, very different 
genres, very <laughs> different eras of of human history. And I was like, I have to put these together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had the idea years ago and I just kept shelving it because I was, I was like, oh, I have these other pieces and if I start something new, that means that I've given up on them and, you know, have that whole Sometimes things cycle. need to sit and marinate in the, <laughs> in juices, the Janine juice. In the good Janine juice. <laughs> well, it's true. It's true. And then, I mean, like, I kid you not, the, the same month that I started to write this piece... Um, motion started happening for another piece of mine. Yeah. And I was like, okay. I was just having this conversation with someone earlier about, you know, my, my partner's off on a cruise gig and, uh, we were like, Oh, is he having a good time? I'm like, he really is. And he's just like so happy to be working on something like with people that he likes and on something that he's good at. It's like, and I was like, yeah, that affirmation is so important. And I think as artists, we often wish we could be independent of it, Yeah, but we're not. No. You know, no, no one is, even if they claim to be, or to some extent really are, it's not a hundred percent. It is impossible. You, you need a little affirmation and sometimes the energy that you get from that <laughs> spills out so, into other things yeah. in a really delightful way. And it sustains you for yes! so much longer. For all, through all the slogging. Yeah. All, all the no's and all yeah. the silence. And I'm going to butcher a JK Rowling quote, but she's said something, to, um, I saw it in line at um, the Harry Potter studios in London. And it was something like, you know, like a story isn't a story unless someone's listening or, or mm. something like that. If a tree falls in the forest, <laughs> there's no yes. one there. Was Harry, Harry Potter ever really real? God, that just blew my mind. Yeah, well, I'm deep that yeah, way. So, you are, yeah. you are. Um, but, I, but I think about that quote. And so, I'm, um, so I, ma- I wrote this show and I think four months or less. Mm-hmm. Like I wrote it very quickly because I knew exactly what it was. Mm-hmm. And we did a series of table reads. I did act one, I think in March. And then I did a reading of the whole thing in May. And, um, and it all started because I also reached out to the duplex and I was like, mm-hmm. I need a deadline. Give me a, a space. Yeah. I was like, I was like, I need something in nine months. And they gave me October 6th cause right. I've done tons of stuff for them. I was mm-hmm. like, great. And um and here we are. Huzzah! And we're gonna do it. And I wrote this part for you, like with the Amy Jo Jackson (laughs) voice in mind, with the Ursula and with the loud villainous cadences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Come to expect. Did you enjoy the first table read? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like really zany and silly, and I always enjoy that. Yeah. And then there's that character. I mean, I'm not going to remember everything, but there's the character that the, the gentleman whose name I don't remember. Cause I hadn't met him before that night played. That was the landlady. Oh, Mrs. Saplotnik. Oh, Mrs. Saplotnik. I just, just like the, the confluence of, of those words and that actor playing them. was like, ah, <laughs> oh, that's a really beautiful, like, Actor meeting material in a way that, like, clearly you were like, I can imagine this person saying this. Yeah. And I'm going to write so that it will just be so <laughs> gloriously stupid. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that yeah, very yeah, much. Yeah. You weren't able to do the table read of Act 2. Correct. I think so, I, was, I was doing Fun Home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you don't know what happens in I Act 2. I don't. You don't know your song More drama, two. I imagine. So more much high, more drama. High stakes. So many stakes. So many stakes. <laughs> so many stakes. <laughs> T-bone, ribeye? Ribeye, yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Delicious. Yes. And all rare. And well done. <laughs> and 
<laughs> overdone. What's the, <laughs> what's the song time sure. lyric? Yes, and always arrives overdone. overdone. Yep, that's Monkey Trouble Unleashed. Yes, yes, for that's sure. Maybe Joe Jackson way as well. Um, but uh, but we have for everyone's listening pleasure um, the first the first demo of a song from the show called "It Could Be So Much Worse," uh, sung by Amy Joe Jackson's character Bart, whose name I did not change. I think that's great. Yeah, I didn't want to really force that or change what it for you gonna any... make it like barbara yeah no. i was like bart no so i think even in the stage i was i was like bart's like an evil woman with an evil man's name like i think it just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i could also like if i'm someone who's gonna do mental gymnastics it's like maybe it's the last name maybe it's a shortening of something i don't need yeah i, d- yeah. I don't need all At the, the duplex nonsense. you're so deep in your two drink minimum like you're not gonna you're be so deep in the like when are they bringing me my whiskey ginger there's a lot of people who all showed up at the same time. Oh, her name's Bart, you say? <laughs> Great. I'm into it. Yes. <laughs> yes, and. Um, so this happens early in the show. Um, so we've met... Um, what are you t- do you want to tell them a little bit about what your character yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. Um, because I'd love to hear someone else say it. For sure. Now, also, I've not read any rewrites, so I could be giving some erroneous oh. info. But oh. as I recall, uh, I'm... an an evil mastermind who's trying to return some gum I've already chewed. And the, the, there's, there's this like kind of routine that I'll do at these stores where I'm basically trying to get them to refund something that I've already, I've clearly chewed the gum. Yes. And then I have this, this, uh, monkey boy that I keep on a leash. He's a, a man, but he's my little monkey. And uh, he's supposed to come in and and uh, and seal the deal and 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 kill kill kill, mm-hmm. um, but he uh, what is it? He hears a piano. He yeah, sees he, a piano. He, yeah, he finds a piano at the super. At Walmart. the super. So his his mother used to play the piano. And and he's recently found a photograph of her that I thought I had like destroyed them or something like that. And oh no, he's starting to have a soul and remember his mother. This is bad news for poor moi. Uh, and so he makes a fool of me at this department store, and I find him back at home, and I have to basically like squelch the desire to explore or think about his humanity, his mother, any desire to have anything other than the life that I've built. So I sing this song uh, as as a means of uh, manipulation. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's accurate? I would say that's extremely accurate. I'm so glad, because it was several months ago. It was. So. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, I wrote it even longer ago, so I'm... Like, Glad. great, great, great. We're both fresh as a consistent. daisy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so knee deep in orchestrations, I'm, you know, have to go back and now make sure it yeah, actually yeah. makes It'll sense. It'll be good. You'll be fresh. It'll be terrific. It'll be terrific. It'll be terrific. All right. So listen to the song. If you like the song, and trust me, you will. Um, come hear the rest of the show at the Duplex Monkey Trouble Unleashed concert premiere Sunday, October 6th at 6 30 p.m. Uh, it's a nice, reasonable hour. Yes! It's not an 1130. Can you believe? Yeah. Can you believe? You can even go downstairs afterwards and listen to probably Brian Nash playing till 4 a.m. There you go. In the in the downstairs piano bar. Perfect. Twofer. I'll be there. Um, yeah. If you want to know more about what we're doing, go to amyjoejackson.com, joelbnew.com. Um, you you do do social media. I'm I'm real big on Instagram, Twitter. I I've discovered I'm just not funny, uh, in that way. 
So I'm on it and I retweet, but if you want to get in touch or see my nonsense, it's all the nonsense is on, on Instagram. Instagram. Same. So it's at Amy Jo Jackson. Terrific. All right. Well, they will follow you, I'm sure, and they'll come see the show. Um, that is... That's it. Can I say hit the track? Go for it. Hit the track! <laughs> <laughs> for my apartment in Astoria, this is Joel B. New. <laughs> I'm Amy Joe Jackson. Saying thank you for dropping by for something new. Danny, are you not happy? Life is not some never-ending party. Sorry if that makes your bubble burst. Best you hear it from your Auntie Barty, who always puts a monkey man first. Do you really think there's better options, better than the current one you've got? Before you go, you should know. There's not. <laughs> Danny. So what? There's no view here for you to admire. It could be so much worse. So what? There's no walls here, just cheap chicken wire. It could be so much worse. So what? There's no way to say what you want to say. Some things are best left unsaid With no song or dance You lessen the chance Of upright pianos being dropped on your head That's what happened to your mom. She didn't want you. All she wanted was to play the piano. But in the end, it was the piano that played her. So what if the air smells like burned rubber tire? It could be so much worse. So what? There's no exit in case of a fire. Life's a trick and a curse. But out there, your back will find itself against a wall. Curtains will rise. Pianos will fall. I've seen it all. And it could be so, so, so much worse. Her final words were to me. She said, Help! A f-ing piano just fell on me! But then she said, Repressing your memories is lots and lots of fun! Pianos are not! This weighs a ton! And tell my son it could be so, so, so much! Spotify now.